Traveling the Vortex. We've joined the CIA as they travel the Vortex and arrive at episode 516, where nothing stops the politics of Gallifrey, not even more. I'm Keith. I'm Sean. I'm sorry. I, I heard. I heard. I'm sorry. I was not prepared for that. I, I, I heard you. You are choking or dying or something in the background. No, it just. I. It, it, you are. It's absolutely correct and accurate. And I just, for some reason, traveling with the CIA through the vortex never entered my mind that that's what we were doing this episode. It just sounded funny. Oh. Okay. I'm prepared. I think we can keep it in. Okay, we'll keep it in. I'm gone. <laughs> I'm glad. Cheers. Oh, wait, wait that's the end. Um, <laughs> Thanks for making me look unprofessional. I appreciate that. <laughs> it's been a while since we've had an open like that that threw someone off. I have a, I have a long memory. I think it's Your a lot. trail is noted. <laughs> <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's been a long time, but it hasn't been too long since we've had somebody throw off, but we just edited out. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a while since we've left it in. There you go. There you go. It's How are you guys? It's been a while since I've listened to an episode. I don't know what Glenn does with them after we're done recording. <laughs> uh, I might recover from choking on your grilled cheese sandwich there, Sean. Uh, yes. Yes, I have. Did you guys do anything fun this week? We watched Coda. What'd you think? Oh, it's good. It's so good. Yeah, it's good. I liked it. Um, I don't think it's the best picture, but it was good. It When I watched it, it felt a little, it felt like an exaggeration. And then it occurred to me, it probably feels that way because I'm not used to being around, around people that, you know, might be deaf or, or hard of hearing. And so I think maybe it just comes across that way because I'm not used to it. But it was a great movie. Don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. but I don't. I wouldn't say best picture. And I was quite surprised that it picked up uh, the ensemble award at the SAGs. It's an interesting, uh, interesting development for sure. Yeah. Um, I not, not that it wasn't a worthy ensemble. No, piece. it's uh, you know, it, they were yeah exceptionally well done. They do well together. Yeah. But yeah, definitely worth your time if you if you've oh, not yeah. seen it yet. Yeah, I don't want anybody to think I didn't like it because it's a good movie. I just was uh, taken aback a little bit by that award because I didn't expect that. So, obviously, that's some of uh, some of our homework for the Pod versus Pod Oscar competition that's coming up. Yeah, I did a little bit of homework myself this week. We watched uh, West Side Story. Finally, um, I can't believe it took me so long. It's one of my favorite musicals. Uh, that's a good movie, man. Of course, I'm a little biased because it's again one of my favorite musicals. Um, but I think it was it was treated very well. I liked the uh, I like gender the gender bent uh, pops character, although she's not pops in this. She was married to pops. Um, I like the fact that they gave Rita Moreno the um, song uh, that. Oh gosh, I'm, the the song escapes me, but it's the one after. Well, I don't want to spoil anybody for anybody who hasn't seen it. Anyway, the song she sang was not sung by. It was was sung by the main characters in the original. 
I could not get over how beautifully shot that movie was. Yeah, and uh, there's there are shots that Spielberg borrows that he doesn't copy. Don't get me wrong, but he borrows them from the original. But he does them in such a unique way that it just it almost polishes what it was already done really well in the first uh, go round. He polishes them with an even better look. I think mm-hmm. it just. Um... I mean, the camera really almost becomes a, a character in and of itself with some of the the dance choreography that it just it just flows. And it, it's here's an interesting factoid for you. Did you know Spielberg is the only human being to have been nominated for an Academy Award for Best Director in six different decades? Yeah, I think I just saw that when he got his nomination. <laughs> How incredible is that? That's pretty impressive. I don't think I did any other Oscar stuff this week. I think that was the only one we picked up this week. We've, we're pretty far ahead of everything. Uh, further along with a lot of stuff than I thought. I've still got three best pictures that I have to watch. But So do we. <laughs> yeah, yours are different, I think, than mine. Cause I, I've still got Nightmare Alley, Licorice Pizza, and Drive My Car. And I think you said you had Belfast, Power of the Dog, and what was the other one? And Drive My Car. Drive My Car. So there is one that we... One similar, I think but I we're also we're them. also behind on uh, you. You've seen a bunch of the actor nominations, which we have not yet started. I've been trying to knock out some of the oddball categories when Mel's not around. Yeah, because I know she's not going to care about some of those. But yeah, in fact, I've seen I've seen all the best supporting actor films, and I've oh, nice. seen I've seen all but one of the best actor films, all but one of the supporting actress films, and I'm still missing three of the best actress films. Not missing them, but I just haven't watched them yet. This is the first year I've had as much access to these films. <laughs> and a lot of that has to do with the fact that, number one, they came to streaming services a lot sooner. Some of them were on streaming services at the same time that they were in the theaters. And some of Thank them you, have, pandemic. Yeah. And some <laughs> of them have come to video and been able to get a hold of since then as well. So. It also, I think, helps that this year we've we've had a later Oscar broadcast. Yeah. I don't like it when it's, you know, right at the end of February, beginning of March. I right. much prefer a, I know there were some complaints about the, oh, it's such a long Oscar campaign season. It's like, no, I, I like having the extra time. Yeah, it gives you an opportunity to see everything, or, or as much as you can anyway. Keith, did you I'm, do anything? I'm in my element right now. Uh, no, uh, we're working on preparing to get our house listed on the market, so oh, yeah. we've been doing a lot of all of our downtime has pretty much been working on decluttering and stuff like that sure yeah nothing fun happening here (laughs) i guess i did finish midnight horizon which is the young adult high republic the latest oh yeah yeah which i hadn't read the adult book yet so i got somewhat spoiled of kind of what happens in the bigger overarching plot oops so now i'm reading (laughs) that one (laughs) And the, the book was good, though. It was set on Corellia, so it was kind of cool to to have it a story set there in addition to Solo. This episode of Traveling the Vortex is sponsored by Audible. They have audiobooks, they have novelizations, and they have Big Finish. So you can go and try it for free. Here's how. Simply go to audibletrial.com slash travelingthevortex. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash traveling the vortex. Sign up for a free one month trial 
and dip your toe in Big Finish, and then you will be like us and know what all the hype is about. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash travelingthevortex. Sign up today. Let's move on to our reviews. Gallifrey Time War. By nightfall, the Time Lords will be at war with the Daleks, formally. And we'll need every resource we can muster. Or else, what are we doing here? Coming soon from Big Finish Productions. Gallifrey Time War, Series 1. With the enemy at our gates, the people of Gallifrey need to know we're defended. The security of our world depends on there being some secrets. Negotiations are delicate. We have people with lifetimes of experience who can deal with this. Irving Braxiatel is not to be trusted. Irving, I've fought Daleks before. Well, haven't we all? You're excited by all this. Well, out with it. Don't keep me in suspense. We all know why I'm here. We need you to recover something for us. Or, more precisely, someone. What do you want from me? We were sent here by the Time Lords. The Time Lords? Yes. But as I told you, the Time Lords killed my family! Open your eyes! The Time War will lead Gallifrey to destruction as surely as night follows day. The Matrix has been warning us for decades. Romana, this is the end of our fight. The Doctor has abandoned us, and perhaps, much as it pains me to admit it, he knows best. Big finish. We love stories. We shall be victorious, my children. Your emperor swears it! Celestial intervention. The temporal powers are under threat. It is only a matter of time before the Daleks attack. Now, CIA coordinator Romana must protect the interests of Gallifrey while dealing with demands from President Livia and an increasingly powerful war council. As allies are whittled away, the Time Lords are drawn into a conflict they can no longer avoid really want to give this a bump bump bomb like a really big one but i suspect that that's probably just my excitement at finally getting to a gallifrey story <laughs> and getting romana in office even though it's not the office i thought she was going to be holding <laughs> well remember we did have that previous box that we'd have listened to yeah i know okay i enjoyed it do not get me wrong but there were a couple of little things that it was like, I, have to, I may have to refrain a little bit on my bum, bum, bum. So. How much of it is because you feel like you are jumping in midstream and you haven't learned of kind of what's led Leela and Romana and uh, Narvin up to this point? So much. <laughs> <laughs> Now that the shoe is on the other foot, Keith, I'd like to offer an official apology. Um, wow, we treated you unfairly. See, I guess maybe because of my, my history and my, my experiences, I felt they did a pretty good job with this, where initially in the beginning of it, it's very much a plot trying to play catch up, okay, what's going on? But I got the impression from the beginning of the box set that you know the War Council is a new thing that they're introducing in this box set. 
um, maybe Romana's position may have been previously established as well as Narvin's, but where what Leela's doing was new because of the War Council and being new in this box set. So I felt they did a fairly good job of bringing everyone up to speed for those that might jump in here since there's, I would hope, a decent time jump between this and the last box set. Yeah, I'm... I'm- Totally with you, Keith. I didn't feel lost at all. I felt like I caught up really well. I thought the box set does a good job of le- allowing you to jump in uh, at the beginning of this without having to know new- too much about where Ramana and Arvin and Leela are at this point. Because uh, I, I too, too think it, it fills in the, the holes and fills in the gap really, really well. I think my struggle with it and what maybe I was a little disappointed with was we did the first box set of this and I was, I think I, my biggest complaint about it was it, the, 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 the story was just a political drama. There's not a lot of action. There's a lot, not a lot of excitement. There's not a lot going on. It's, it's, and which is fine. There, there are people that like politically driven stories and political intrigue and political espionage and backstabbing and all this stuff. And that's fine, but I don't like that kind of story. And I was hoping that these had advanced away from that at least a little bit. I did expect there to be the politics. We are talking about Gallifrey and the Time Lords. <laughs> but I did expect a little bit of that. But I felt like I got they got really bogged down in that again. Um, I kind of felt like one of the things also that, that troubled me is Layla, Layla. Leela does this. She's almost... How do I describe it? She's almost a little too pushy. She's do- she doesn't seem to have very much empathy for other people's situations. She doesn't seem to have much compassion. And there's a little bit of unevenness because at one point it's, okay, send Leela in there to find out what's going on. Oh, no, Leela's been captured. We got to find out what, you know, we've got to help her. And then it turns around and it's, oh, gosh, well, we've got to get in there because I want to see what this is. And then we're back to later. Oh, we've got to we can't leave Leela. And so I know that she's wanting both things, but it just at one point in the story felt very uneven, like her her drive was to save Leela. And then her drive was to find out what was in there. And then her drive, it was almost like uh, you you should have picked one or the other to focus on you still would have gotten what you needed to do and get in there and see what the war council was secretly working on but you could have kept one goal or one you know uh uh, ambition or something that that was you know one necessity and not turned me off by thinking that you were being selfish i think was the problem and maybe leela has gone down this path to this point Huh? Or Romana. Sorry. Yeah. Gosh, I kept counting Leela. Yes, Romana is who I'm talking about. Lala. That's why I was confusing. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Every time I said Leela just a minute, a little bit ago, other than, uh, yeah, it was Romana. Uh, but Romana, I felt like she was, she just had no empathy sometimes for what was happening. She had no empathy sometimes for Narvel's concerns. Uh, she just, Narvin's concerns. She just kept pushing him. So that was my. I thought the stories, I, the story was good, and I think it's an interesting setup with where we are going with the war and what why there is some issues with with the the the, the time lords at this point in the time war, and it explains 
it, right now it already explains why the doctor took the actions that he took and this is early <laughs> days so uh so i liked that but you, the, those that's why i can't give it too much of a bum 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 because i think it's a good story but i just kind of felt like it was a little uneven uh with the characterizations it's funny that you were saying leela and she seemed to be lacking some some empathy for these other characters in their situations because I think she did when we first get introduced to Leela in the scene where they come to her and say, we you know, need your help. And she kind of is like, eh, I don't want to do that. And then goes, oh, all right, whatever, I'll do it. She comes across as very, very disinterested. But for Romana, okay, I'll do it. And any of the interactions early on with, with Leela... She, she is like that, and she doesn't have much compassion or empathy in her at all. And I took that as because of the extension of the fact that, well, she's still coming off the death of, of uh, oh, what was her husband's name? She's still coming off the death of her husband in the last set, um, that he disappeared or is presumed dead at this point. Um, and so she's still a little off. And, but her friendship with Romana is, you know, what, what's, you know, keeping her around. Unfortunately, Glenn's right. I didn't get a lot of empathy from Romana on the flip side because I felt like in the, in the last set that we listened to, Romana kind of uses Leela as the blunt instrument tool that ostensibly she is, but continues to in this set. And, you know, she, she's useful and has her purposes when she needs her to, but yet... I, just when I thought, you know, when, when when does the loyalty kick in? When does the friendship kick in? And she says, we've got to get Leela out of there before something bad happens. And I went, oh, okay, there it is. And then the next thing out of her mouth is, we've got to find out what they're up to. And I was like, oh. <laughs> and it kind of pulled the rug out from under that. And it was like, well, just when I was thinking that you were, you know, doing this for Leela, now I'm, I'm questioning your motivation. So I agree with you, Glenn. I think Romana flip-flopped a lot during that and that's one of the things that I had to pull back my dunna because I was like mm. and now I'm one of the people that I do like the political machinations and the um, you know the backstabbing and the all of that I, I you know I've been wanting to get into these forever because it's like oh yeah this is the bread and butter this is what you know stuffy old time lords yes more of that please and I could hear even though they didn't use them I could hear the, the pipe organs and the the death zone horns and all of that was playing in my head and I was ready for it. But um, while the story was good, it was very paint by numbers. Okay, so the War Council is doing something shady. Duh. <laughs> it's, it's in the name, War Council. What did you expect them to be doing? <laughs> they're, 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 they are not going to play by you know, by, by the rules. Their, their, their job is to win the war, and that's implied by any means necessary. And Romana should know that. And so the fact that, though, they're hiding things from them. And it was interesting that the first thing out of the guy's mouth when, you know, well, we picked up this thing. And uh, what was your drone doing over there? <laughs> you know, just right off the bat. Well, it went off course and malfunctioned. We didn't delve too deeply into that. But, man, there could have been a whole nother ramification of, you know, to keep better control of your drones. And, you know, I almost expected a cat fight over that. Yeah. So it just, it seemed, that was one of the other things. It seemed Romana was on her back foot 
a lot yeah. through the story. And and I understand she, you know, she needs to be for purposes of the story. But Romana was never on her back foot in the series. Right, exactly. This took a lot of her agency away from her yeah. in order to put her through the hoops that this, the, the story constructed. And she's not that character. Yeah. She's usually one step ahead of the Doctor in the series. And so putting her in this arena, I was hoping to see a Romana who was politically savvy enough to be one step ahead of, or at least on par with her opponents. That was the verbal sparring I was looking for. That was the the craftiness and the, this is going to be good. And instead I got a lot of, why aren't you figuring this out? Because I'm already there. I know what the War Council is doing. They're up to no good. Why are you surprised by any of this? <laughs> And, 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 you know, maybe, okay, yes, it's my longevity as a fan. Of course, they're the bad guys in the story. Move along. But it still just kind of kind of shocked me. So then that, with the combination of how she treated Leela, was a, a bit of a thing. But even with Narvin, you know, their, their relationship has never exactly been, I don't want to necessarily say friendly, um, but it's not been adversarial. But in this one, it, it, it kind of almost felt like, even though they're supposed to be working together, that she was keeping him at arm's length as well. Uh, I I think I agree with you to a point, but it was almost like she was using Narvin to her means as well as a blunt, not the yeah. blunt object, but the, to, to, yeah. to get things done. I will counter the Leela argument just a little bit um, because I sort of, well, number one, I did not expect... Uh, her to still be mourning the loss of her husband because I'm assuming I think it was Andred, wasn't it? Yeah. Andred. Yeah. Uh, yes. I'm assuming that it's been a, since there's at least five uh, block box sets between this and the first one. I well, hope I she's gotten over it. Is there that many? Yeah. This is like season nine. Oh, nine. Okay. Oh. So there's like eight between now and then. I assumed that, that, that she was probably over that. Also, not to mention that. From my that I, point of view, well, it was sooner. <laughs> yeah, agreed. And I can see why you thought that. But also, I think that Leela, for the, for the sheer reason that I feel like Romana and others have always used her as the blunt object, as the enforcer, I think at this point she's a little tired of that. And I think that, I fe- that she's starting to feel that weight. And, and then that's why she is very much the way she is and pushing back against having to do these kind of things. And she's suddenly she's, you want me to be the liaison to the war council, but you also want me to spy on the war council. I mean, it's, it's kind of like the Jedi asking Anakin to spy on the emperor because he's appointed, been appointed to the, to the, to the uh, Jedi. It's, it, it's, I, I see where you're coming from, but I really kind of had some sympathy for Lila in this one. The other thing that well, I think, especially Bud, since she is in a position now where it's she's not being a blunt instrument, she's right. in a political position of power in a sense of being the CIA liaison on the War Council. That's a a position of high trust and et cetera, et cetera, for her to be in. That is more than just a blunt instrument. That yeah. it takes finesse, and so obviously she has grown as a character get to that position but there nobody treats her that way and even the writer to some extent doesn't treat her that way because there's a lot of even this long of of her feeling like it's still the Leela that walked off the tv show to Gallifrey when in theory she has been here for who knows how long at this point it that that 
part of Leela didn't quite sit right with me in the fact of she's still talking about, well, I'm a warrior of the Sabbatine. Right, yeah. I, I understand her honoring and remembering her roots of where she came from, but to have it so still heavy-handed, it's like almost like the writer... This is the character we know from the TV show, and she hasn't grown, so right. this is it's who bit, she is now. It's a bit lazy on the writer's point part. Yeah. That works for me as well. Something else, too. Put it that way. Something else, too, is Narvin was frustrating me because you're sending Lily into this, and you're she has reservations. You're assuring her, no, everything will be okay. We've got to... And then... All along, things keep going wrong. And I think quit making it sound like you're in control when you're not in control. And clearly, Leela knows you're not in control. So stop treating her like that. That was the around that. I thought Narvin was really good. But that part in the story just made made me furious at him. The the code to the door not working. Well, that the drone. Oh, we're we're still working on it. Yeah. What do you mean you're still where you've sent her in there and you don't have the code unlocked yet? We've almost got it. Stand by. Narvin to me has always been kind of that bumbling sort of not quite fully up to speed kind of not quite in control character. So that felt a lot in that line to me too. So I was, it didn't bother me as much. Okay. I don't want to make I, I don't want to make it sound like it wasn't a good story. I, I liked the story. It wasn't as good as some of the stuff we've listened to recently. I did have a few issues with it, but overall it's an it was an interesting story and a good setup to I think what we're gonna be dealing with uh, on Gallifrey with the time war. Yeah, at, and at least really early interesting. On. It's really interesting to see the Gallifreyans' point of view of why. Okay, we're officially starting to declare war now, and what kind of the catalysts of this were. I'm kind of hoping that I'm assuming we'll get to the other stories in this box set, but I'm kind of hoping we'll get a little bit more of kind of since the next episode story steps away from everything. I'm kind of hoping we'll get a little bit more of, you know, the CIA and the war council and the, um, these refugees that have had to come to Gallifrey. I, I think there's a lot of ripe stuff there that they could explore. Yeah. Which I think that that part of the story, I, I do, I agree with you, Keith. And we do get to the rest of this box set later in Act 1 of, of the Time War. But there's a lot of that that I hope that we delve into because that part is so ripe for exploration for, for the Time Lords who are so notoriously xenophobic, you know, about letting people on planet. And, you know, Leela and a couple of handful of the Doctor's traveling companions being the rare exceptions there are not many who have made it to Gallifrey (laughs) and so opening the doors for 5,000 refugees now admittedly I mean of a population of 9 billion Mm. and there's 5,000 survivors the the loss of that is staggering Um, but uh, you know that that to me is a very interesting angle to take with this and I'd be really curious to see more of, of that hopefully uh, dealt with in, in, in the future story. But yeah, there was a lot to, to like about the setup to this. The, the, the couple of nickels with the characters aside, I liked the story. But it was those little nickels that were like, nah, quite a, not quite a home run. 
Well, and the other the other part of it is the fact that is it's the start. It's the beginning of the time war. It's the beginning of a box set. It's the beginning of everything essentially. It's that we're done with we're we're ending the prelude and starting the beginning. So it's also hard to give a the beginning of something a done 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 when it's yeah. not fully self-contained story. And I think we're going to have some of that going forward just in the fact of okay this is the beginning stages of the time war while this individual skirmish may be over the obviously the overarching war is still going so it's going to be interesting to see how they handle a lot of it and making them feel like encapsulated stories as opposed to one big arching story it's an interesting transition piece as we kind of wind down the prologue and wind up into the actual declaration of war which we do get in this um yeah which I, I what, that was the other thing that I thought was interesting is how foregone a conclusion it was to everybody that we we were pretty much already existing in a state of war. We just hadn't said it yet. Yeah, I think it also you know I think it also lends to the the air of uh, deniability or or they they were in self denial that it was happening. I think to that point. Uh, I think well aware that it was happening, but still trying to convince themselves that they weren't not at war. And so, yeah, I, I agree that it was it was interesting that they finally there's that realization of okay, we've we'll make it official because we're already at that point. Hello, fellow time travelers, and welcome to the Doctor Who Target Book Club podcast, the only podcast to discuss in story order all the Doctor Who novelizations. My name is Tony Whip. And every two weeks or so, I'm joined by a two- to three-person discussion panel, including our so-called expert who's been a Who fan since 1979. That would be me. We also get the views of intermediate, casual, and novice fans who either have never seen the show or who have never read these books until these podcasts, including... Dalton Hughes. And... Alison Fitzsafried. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you find good podcasts, or even ones like ours. You're listening to Traveling the Vortex, a Direction Point podcast. Well, let's move on to the next one, because it does take a different approach, and I, I was very grateful for that, actually. Soldier Obscura. Brexiatel has always planned for contingencies. As hostilities escalate, he takes Ace into a deadly region of space-time, the Obscura, to locate an ancient research station. But Ace is about to learn more about Irving Brexiatel than anyone should know. Some soldiers are ready for this fight, but some will not make it through the first round. This is another one that I, <laughs> I, 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 I want to give it props, and yet... I'm not I'll sure. give this I'll give this one a bump 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 because I thought this was a well crafted story. Now, that being said, I can see why for you, based on your explanation for the last one, I fortunately have a little more insight. Keith's got even more insight with Brax, but uh just to catch us up on Ace's story, her timeline as we know is very complicated. But <laughs> but it is widely accepted that the Seventh Doctor at one time had her on the path to go to the uh, Pridonian Academy on Gallifrey and becoming a Time Lord. 
And I'm assuming that we're at this point where she is done with the Academy. She's still under the wing of Brax now. And she has been commissioned by or joined the Celestial Intervention Agency. And then obviously that's where we're at at this point. And so I was kind of, I went into it going, okay, I sort of know this. Um, A lot of that Ace story comes from uh, the Virgin New Adventures, which I think I'm a little more familiar with than you guys are even. And some there's bits and pieces of that, I think, spread out through Big Finish that we'll eventually listen to as well. Braxtill is a little more of a anomaly for me because I don't know that much about other than just what I've read in passing that he is the doctor's uh, brother, older brother, allegedly. And uh, he's uh, he's had a lot. His his timeline if we think that Ace's timeline is complicated, his is way more complicated because he actually is a para, he He's considered a, a paradoxical character. He has a lot of different uh, versions of him. And there's it, it. Interestingly enough, it's it's very much cataloged by the wiki very well. And I mean, they, they make a good job of connecting all of the dots and making it all work. But um I knew that he was the brother of the doctor. I knew that he had been in Gallifreyan politics a lot. I knew that at one point, uh, because we, he, if you remember right, and I think he's probably in more Gallifreyan and Keith will test this, but if you remember right, he's the one that was responsible for the uh, data bomb in the Matrix that was mm-hmm. supposed to expose the cover-up. And so he was responsible for planting that bomb. And then they ended up changing the events. And so it didn't end up having to happen and, and all of that. And I don't remember everything about that. But he, he we, we've had him before. I think we had a, we've had name drops in some other audios as well. Um, yeah, he's been in quite a few audios. Uh, yeah. A lot of the time, uh, the Gallifrey stuff. So that, and I figured you probably had a better uh, grasp on him from the Gallifrey stuff. But even his Gallifrey, early Gallifrey stuff, this is a different version than that one because there's things that happen between Gallifrey and this, according to Wiki. And anyway, it's very complicated, but I knew sort of that he was back in the graces of Gallifrey. And I also figured that they're bringing back every Time Lord at their disposal and he would be one of them. Mm-hmm. And it looks like the, the actor who uh, plays Brax in this one has done it in most of the yeah audios. Miles Richardson's so done a it's, it's lot the same incarnation at least uh yeah um, I think even his audios. his look they have used in some even uh, uh like comics and things like that that they've done and, and artwork mm-hmm. that they've done of the character are based on Miles Richardson so yeah I think he was originally introduced in the Virgin New Adventures and he has a lot of adventures with when the that series spun off into the Bernice Summerfield books when Virgin lost the license and they just started doing the Bernice stories. He was carried over into those as well. So he's, he's had a lot of experiences with Bernice Summerfield as well. Yeah. There's quite the list of Bernice stuff. I'm not sure how many of those are books and how many of those are audios. There's probably a little of both in there. Yeah. Anyway. So going into that, I, I sort of, I had a little bit of that and, but again, I think that this does a good job of just saying, I mean, we don't have to know that this is the doctor's brother. We just know that this is some time Lord who's 
educating Ace at this point. And then we just have well, to accept then, the fact that Ace is here now, and this happens to be her job. So I, do, I think I didn't feel yeah. thrown into it at this point either. I didn't either, but I, and I haven't listened to these, but just looking at the wiki real quick, it looks like Ace has been in the Gallifrey stories since season seven. Okay. Of course, season seven and season eight are one story apiece, so it's only two two stories really that she's been a part of. But sure. she's at least been around, and obviously is her role would have been established of somewhat then of course Romana was president back in those stories so Romana's role has changed right. in that so it's entirely possible Ace's kind of what's happening with her has changed too so sure. with the jump and the change of time everything's kind of in flux yeah I was aware of the the, the backstory that uh, Ace winds up in training um, but that was kind of the extent of it after I made peace with, and I was probably, I don't know, 20 some odd minutes into the first story before I finally kind of put my finger on, Oh, Romana's not president in this one. <laughs> okay. That makes more sense. In the first one? Real, in, in the first story. Yeah. I, I, I was, I was still trying to piece together. Even as many, assumed... even as many times as they said, president Livia, Livia. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it, it just wasn't it just wasn't clicking, and okay. that's on me. That's not on the story. That's totally on me because I can't do it with clear my the story. Yeah, I thought it made it pretty clear yeah. too. <laughs> no, no, it's 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 on me because I came into that with my preconceived notion of President Romana during the Time War, and uh, you know, yeah, I, I just I'm I'm a big goofy head, uh, so it's it's not on the writer's fault. That that one's yeah. on me. Um, but after I finally figured that out, when I got thrown into this one and Ace showed up, I was just like, okay, you know, so I just rolled with it. <laughs> I, I had to lose, I had to have one to loosen up, I guess. Yeah, there you go. Um, and Actually, then I, I kind me, of vaguely me, remembered Braxitel. Let me say something real quick, because just, just alluding to what you were talking about, Romana, I'm really glad that they did what they did by putting her in charge of, uh, the CIA because, uh, it was Russell T Davies when he was asked where Romana was, was she still president of time of uh, Gallifrey at the time? And he says, no. And so they, yeah. they went, okay, that's Canon. So that's, I think that's why they shifted here. Well, and it totally makes sense too, because then suddenly, you know, we, we all want Romana to be a good president because she was a good character. So it follows through that she would be, you know, a force for good. And I kind of suspect that there was probably a lot of stuff going on in the time war that was not good decision-making yeah. on behalf of whoever was in charge. And obviously we know that at some point in time, Rassilon himself comes over and takes over. Yeah. So, you know, while it would be kind of cool to see Rassilon depose Romana, I don't think anybody necessarily wants that fight either. So it makes sense to shuffle her out of the way and let somebody else take the fall for the bad decision making. <laughs> when we even get the impression, they give the impression that the president knew about project, whatever it was at the end of resurrecting all the dead time Lords. And that's not something Lila would have ever signed off on. Right. So in order for that ball to even start rolling, it has to be a different president. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And probably so, even establishing the war council would have to be a different president. I don't think Lila probably would have wanted to establish that either a romana yeah yeah that's what i meant romana no i'm doing it <laughs> yeah, now you're doing it it's easily done <laughs> so yeah that that that's all that's good decision making there but um 
no, I, I just kind of rolled with it. I remembered Braxitel from a story. I wasn't for sure which one, but now that you say data bomb in the matrix, that one is like, okay, that makes sense. Um, I thought this one was a pretty decent story. I think it's a little nebulous to me as to why. It would have I been mean, nice if we would have gotten a better picture of what this weapon was going to be. Or yeah, why, I mean, the, in, in and of itself, it's a MacGuffin. Do this. Um, the, the, the whole Obscura is, okay, it's this, this area of space, and the Daleks have apparently been trying to cross it, and it's an inv possible invasion route, but it didn't become a thing until right now. Uh, and then we're going to take care of it right now. But but only because Brax, there were very few people that knew about it. Braxitel happened to be one of them. Right. It it just seemed very convenient that all of those pieces came together. For the for, for again for purposes of storytelling, da, 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 and look we've got a thing. It's like yeah, but this I mean the the the, the obscura has been here for how many thousands of years? Station been here how long is this? But nobody knew about it. The Daleks didn't know about it. Okay. <laughs> They didn't know that there was a way across it and that they've been throwing themselves into it for how long and they just now are sending a well, fleet to... Well, okay. I think, okay. I think you, I mean, there's, there's I think just a you, lot of little convenience. Well, I think no, because I think you missed very much a lot of the core of this story is the fact that Braxadel was playing a long game on this. The reason they were going at it is because he had planted the idea that there was a great weapon there that the Daleks would want and so that's why he was convincing i mean he was convincing them but that's why he had been playing the plan and letting them kind of indirectly in on the fact that it was there because he was basically expected them to throw daleks at it until they were able to get to a point where dana 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 donna donna dana. would use the um the gun or the the, the weapon the weapon because she was the weapon she had to take the one shot at the lead um uh, fleet, uh, the head of the fleet, and which would have taken out the entire fleet. Um, but unfortunately, she couldn't do that. And so he had to revert to plan, plan B and then obviously C as well. So it falls apart on him, but it was all a setup. And I think the fact that it was the, the Obscura was irrelevant because it was, yes, A, a MacGuffin for the story, but also it was MacGuffin for the his story to get them set up into the situation that he needed them to be in order to, for them to be taken out. And so he okay, was so manipulating the, this whole time of a, this chain of events. So the weapon was real. The obscure was the MacGuffin. Well, no, the, no, the, 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 the weapon was also a MacGuffin, but the weapon was not something that we expected. The weapon was, was not a physical weapon. It was, Dana, Dana's ability, Donna, they kept calling her Donna. Donna's ability, I know it's not D-O-N-N-A, but uh, Donna's ability to take use the, the the weapon that they have to take a shot that would have taken out, missile. yeah, that missile, whatever it is. And so that, so there, she was the weapon. He had put her in position in order to, unfortunately, sacrifice, he knew he was going to sacrifice her. But he was going to put her in a position because she was the best shot. She was the one that could make that shot and take out the fleet, which would have either taken the Daleks out entirely. I got the impression it would have just crippled them immensely uh, to the point where they would not be able to continue their war. So that was the whole purpose of that. 
Now that you point that out, I remember realizing that as the story ended of, oh, okay, there there wasn't a real weapon. It yeah. was but, but doesn't, her but doesn't that seem shoot. It's ex- overly convoluted. <laughs> yeah, doesn't that seem not only overly convoluted, but exceptionally vague? So that there's a, that she has this ability that we're not going to explain to do a thing that we're not going to talk about with a weapon that isn't really there that would do untold damage that doesn't actually happen. So well, ex- I, th- I think ex- what they didn't do was explain that there. What they didn't explain clearly was there wasn't a weapon in the obscura that everyone's trying to get. Right. That's well, what wasn't clear. Right. Well, I mean, I get that Braxton was lying. I get so that. But let's I, let's put it there this way. There was a weapon. There was a missile. But there was not a doomsday device, as was being implied, I guess. It wasn't a doomsday weapon. That was what was being implied, so that it would make the Daleks really want to get it or feel the necessity to get a hold of it. And so, but, metaphorically, Donna was the weapon because she was, in Braxtell's mind, the only one that could make that shot. Using the missile and taking out the fleet based on the formation they would come in at, trying to get through the Obscura. Uh, huh. <laughs> yeah. So, now, that being said, there's a lot more that happens, and it's it. unfortunately, I think that what this do- story is doing is setting up Brax, his story, his and his purpose and... Uh, story that's going to be happening throughout the time war going forward because they made a point of putting him in a position where he could have sacrificed himself and taken that shot. And because it's alluded to earlier by Donna that Braxitel made an incredible shot. And then when she tells Brax, she reminds Braxtell about that. He says, no, that was a fluke because he doesn't believe in himself. He doesn't think he could do that. He thought when he did it the first time he could take, she knew well enough that he could do it. But I think that that's the, I think that's where we're there. We're setting the character up and we're doing some character building here because I think based on Braxtell's history, people that are familiar, more familiar than us, would have listened to this and gone, oh, well, that's Braxton. We can't trust him. I mean, the, the, in, the, in his backstory, the man had an evil entity in his brain for a very long time that he fought against. And so he's had some misdeeds. He's had some, he's been a bad guy. He's done some bad things. And so I think as a listener, even knowing that this is a different character and that he's trying to be good and he's on what he calls the path of goodness, that if you're listening to this, you'll go, oh gosh, okay, Braxtell, he's reverting to his old ways. You know, he's number one. It makes it sound like he's trying to backstab the uh, uh, Time Lords, which I think is the impression we're supposed to get: is that he's going to make a deal with the Daleks and and pull a master. And then really, he's actually trying to set up this plan that he's been putting in place and then it sort of falls apart so i think the idea of this was to really kind of build on his character and make us first of all suspicious of him and then second of all think oh well he's very cowardice and what can he do and he makes the choice not to take the shot because he feels like he's would put me in a better position going forward and staying 
at the front lines of this war and and continuing it on because he feels like his ultimate plan failed and it wouldn't have failed had he tried to take the shot. I believe Donna that he could have made the shot. Uh, so I think that's what this whole story is about, is about Braxitel's character. And that's where, I again, I think maybe, I'm hoping, I'm hoping this will pay off when we get more Braxitel in the Time, in the time War stories uh, later on. Okay. Sorry, I got I got really on a rant there. I apologize. <laughs> no, 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 you're, you're, you're fine. And, and uh, everything else about this, I I, I did enjoy. I, I enjoyed the the character development of Ace and her relationship with Braxtel. I enjoyed the character development of Donna and her relationship with Ace. I enjoyed the little insights that we got with Donna and Braxtel until he ultimately betrays her and kills her. Or retires her, whatever we're going to call <laughs> call yeah. that scene. Right. What I don't get, and it, it it still does not jive for me, is take the shot. Okay, but it's a sacrifice. Yeah, I don't it's know a sacrifice enough about either the, way. You're right. I, I don't know enough about this weapon to understand how that works. It's it's a or missile you, shot. You you push the button and you're done. You walk away from the console and you didn't sacrifice anything. What is that you didn't describe this weapon in any detail enough for me to understand why it's a sacrifice. So I, I don't buy into the fact that you have to sacrifice yourself to do it or that anybody could do it. Well, why is she so integral to the plot that only she could make this shot only to be told later that uh, no, Braxtell could have done it himself? Again, it's, it's, it's I wish I, I wish I could eloquently state for you exactly how it was said. But it's laid, at least laid out for me, it was laid out very well that the missile array was it, uh, like you had to have a targeting system, or not even a system, but you had to target it yourself. And there was, there was some dialogue in there that explained what had to happen. And the reason why there was going to be a sacrifice is because when you do this in the Obscura, it takes out the entire obscura. So you weren't going to be able to get away. He did it in such a way where he took out a few ships and then was able to delay things. What do you say? Seven seconds or whatever. Enough time, seven minutes. Maybe it was, I don't remember enough time for him to get to the TARDIS. So he took what you could look at as the coward's way out or as the, uh, not necessarily even the coward's way because he, in his mind, is building up that he did something noble because he has to survive so that he can continue the fight. Okay. Yeah, because they talk about taking down a whole flock of bats with a, with a single shot. And right. that's essentially what she was going to do with this missile and the Daleks. Now, exactly. why the, she wouldn't survive that wasn't clear other than, you know, the idea that the Obscura wouldn't no longer be there. Okay, I guess I, I, I guess I totally missed that part that the Obscura wouldn't be there anymore. So I, I will have to go back and re-listen to that then to 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 hear that because I I totally didn't get that. Well, I still it, think it's it's vague enough that it it doesn't jive for me. I but. think you would be listening for when he talks about it would. Uh, let's see. It said when it, taking out the fleet would also take out the station. I think is what the the line is, and you're they're on the station inside the obscura. Well, then it's a crappy plan to begin with. <laughs> I, I mean, Move it, that part is so it's right next to the button. Yeah, I mean, well, that's a, that's a good point. That's a very good point. 
I can't argue that. It was seven seconds to spare. Why you, you, you don't have extender arms or, or antenna probes or yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know. Tom Baker would have figured something out. He would have. I don't know. There, there's a lot of that. That's the part of it that I get. I, I get tripped up on. Sure. Is sure. Uh, you know, I, I like I said, I, I don't mind that Braxtell's telling this big lie. And that's the other thing is it, without having his backstory and knowing the ins and outs of him with a parasitic brain and being a bad guy and all of that stuff being dropped in the middle of just, here's this guy. Yeah. I, you know, I get that Braxtell's not to be trusted because I don't necessarily trust him, but I never for a minute thought he was actually teaming up with the Daleks. No. I, you know, I just, I don't, I don't buy that. You either well, have to be completely evil from the get go or completely brain damaged from the get-go to think that you can team up with a Dalek. Let, let's be and fair. I think it was than being able to buy into that. Too. Yeah. Right. And, and let's, let's be fair. It, I think it's, that's the implication, but I, there's not based on the way these kind of things work out. I too thought, okay, he's not making a deal, but he's not playing all of his cards yet. And so he's sure. got another plan. So yeah, I think everybody, yeah, no, I think anybody listening to it would get that. So I, I never bought that he was really, you know, making a deal with them. But he was he was luring him in for something. The fact that he didn't let Ace in on it, okay, so he's playing him close to the vest and he's got something else in mind. All right, well, let's see what this is. Well, well what it is is he's got this grandmaster plan that involves apparently killing her and blowing everything up, but it didn't actually work, but we're going to do some of it anyway, and right. yet he could make it out. Right. Eh. <laughs> That's a crappy plan. Well, it, it was way over convoluted then that you, you could have done something way, way different that should have worked better. There's more that's to my, it. That's my there's take on there's it. more to it, though, because he did not anticipate the one Dalek that got through and survived. He didn't anticipate it happening that soon. And so I think that that's part of that, because that was the first thing that threw off his plan, because he talked about he felt like he had when 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 Ace goes in there and he's in the parlor having tea and she's like, I thought you were doing this. And he's like, well, you know, I've, we've got a little time. But it at some point, the timeline gets or uh, yeah, gets uh, sped up because he realizes I don't have as much time as I thought I had. And so. That's that also. Well, he he didn't plan was on it, the wasn't his aging. Well, that's true too. He and yeah. that was the other thing. He, I'm not saying that he was not <laughs> didn't have some. He wasn't you know uh, fallible here because he was greatly because yes, he didn't anticipate uh, Donna losing her ability to be able to take that shot and and yeah, exactly aging the way she did. He also was 13 years late. She thought he was going to be there earlier than that, sooner than that. <laughs> And he had been on time. It might have turned out differently. Yeah, right. Um, I, uh, was it, was my it me pro- or... Sorry, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say my problem with the story, because I thoroughly enjoyed Ace being there. I thought Ace was a... I thought it was a... She did a great job. I think Sophie Aldridge was, was, was terrific in the part. Um, I like the fact that we had somebody in there to question Braxitel, um, so that we could play out the whole idea that he was trying to, he had to keep it secret, him using her as a weapon and her initially trusting him and then going along with it. But I think the problem is Ace was almost underused and thrown away in this story because we were focusing so hard on developing Braxitel to set him up for whatever's going to be his, his service in the time war. But Ace, it's almost now knowing that she was in two stories before this. 
I feel a little better that this writer decided we've got to get Ace out of here before the time war actually happens. And I think that was the intent. And maybe that's why it feels like she was wasted and then shunted away uh, to me. Because, yeah, because but I feel a little better that she's had a few stories because I think what happened is they had a few stories. They decided we're going to do the time war and they decided, well, maybe we shouldn't have Ace around for that. So. But that was my my was my issue with this story was the fact that I felt Ace was sorely underused. Yeah, I, I, was, I had that complaint too. I was looking forward to Ace because I mean Ace would have pushed the button, right? Well, she says it too. She says she would have done it. Then give her the chance, and she probably could have taken the shot. Yep. Um, I did. You guys listened after the. Music, right? The after quote unquote yes. credits scene. So at the end of the the story, it makes it sound like he. It's a. I think they're implying that he kills kills her because she can't be a witness to this, or because she listened in. She opened the the calm and was able to hear every every part of the conversation they had with Donna. So she knew exactly what was happening there, and so when he decided, you know, they have that back and forth at the end and then he decides well you you know you i can't let you let anybody know and i think it's supposed to be implied that he offs her so then after the after credits when he drops her off and he her memory's been erased i thought oh okay that's kind of a neat way for to make us think that that's what happened and then at the end go well actually because in fact they report her as like one of the casual donna and her as one of the casualties to ramana back on Mm -hmm. gallifrey and so the leaving at the end, and I thought it was neat that when the she hears the TARDIS dematerialize, she sort of thinks, oh, it, could that have been? So I think she, he must have erased her memories maybe back to her adventures with the Doctor. So she remembers all of her adventures with the Doctor, but she probably doesn't remember anything that she did as, a, as a, you know, whatever her agency was on, the, uh, on Gallifrey. Well, it's clever as it sets up the, you know, her being able to start a charitable earth. Yeah. So there's exactly one of the reasons why I picked the book up because something I had read indicated that the charitable earth does take place after, or uh, yeah, takes place after this. And that uh, this book in fact starts off with her waking up. Oh, it's almost that scene in uh, the doctor who season 26 trailer where she's standing in the building looking out over London and the, there's a sign on the door that says the charitable earth. And uh, so it starts there. And I think the story actually, this particular book is supposed to sort of make sense of her complicated timeline. It's supposed to, she gets to see all of the different versions of, of, of what could have happened for her. So one of the reasons I picked that up and started reading it, because I assume this is where, that sort of right after picks up. Anything else on this two set? I, I really kind of want to go on, especially at the end when Roman is asking for them to go get the master. There is another. Yeah. <laughs> what she saying? Yeah, there, what a great stinger. There is another <laughs> renegade. <laughs> if the doctor's not going to be involved, there is another renegade we can call on. The only other thing I had was I thought it was interesting that considering that Brax is supposed to be the doctor's brother, it's Miles Richardson at times sounded like Tom Baker to me. 
I really? thought that as well, especially yeah. in the stinger for the close of the first episode when he started talking. And I went, what? Really? And then Ace started talking and I went, oh, no, they wouldn't pair those two together. And I had to go and look up who this person was. Fourth Doctor Tom Baker? Yeah. Yeah. I, Boy, I, heard I all, didn't get that at all. It, not when Sean was talking about it, more in later on in the in the actual second episode. Oh, wow. Once I, once I knew who it was and I got used to the rhythm and cadence of his speech, then I didn't hear it as much. But initially, I totally thought that was him. Well, and there were, like, if I took a break, like, I'd get out of the car, and then at the end of the day, I'd get my car and drive back home, and he would start talking. You know, it would take me a couple of seconds to remember, oh, yeah, that's not Tom. That's, huh. or that's Braxy itself. It almost... At times, it sounded like he could have been uh, an impersonator on before they got Tom right. to do it. Huh. I don't think he did, but he could have. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, I didn't get that at all from him. I didn't think he sounded anything like Tom, but I'll, I'll take your word for it. At least it wasn't just me. Sean thought so, too. <laughs> he did play... He did play... Uh, uh, Dougie Cavanaugh or Douglas Cavanaugh in downtime in the, oh, uh, okay. in the video. In fact, he's done a lot. He did a lot of the director video. He did Mind Game, Draconian, the Mind Green Trilogy, Damus Rising, White Witch of Devil's End. They all say who is Doctor Who? Do you collect Doctor Who? Do you have Doctor Who items and you don't know you collect Doctor Who? For all things in the Doctor Who collecting world, tune in to the Doctor Who Collectors Podcast, a Direction Point Network podcast. I am Larry Van Rusbergen, your host, and I have been collecting Doctor Who for 40 years. With popular features like collection protection and the most outrageous offer, we have a lot of fun. Available anywhere you get your podcasts. You're listening to Traveling the Vortex, a Direction Point Network podcast. There's also Very the good. other thing we were going to review. Oh, let's talk about that. I forgot about that. <laughs> we talked about it right before the show, and I had already forgotten about it. Yeah, let's Quit talk a little bit about... Rushing us along. Let's then. talk a little bit about the uh, episode... Uh, which which one was it? Was it five or six? Three. 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 Oh, it's, it's episode three. Episode three of the uh, newly animated uh, Web of Fear. What was your impression? No, sir. I didn't like it. <laughs> no. No. I would rather watch a reconstruction. In fact, I will not pick up the DVD because I did not like it. Um, in fairness, this to me felt very much like they were in the process of animating it. Like maybe this was an animatic that they were blocking the stuff and, and, and showcasing how things were going to be put together and then maybe the word had come down from BBC that okay we're done with animating these we're not going to do it anymore and they were like well we've already started this one and they said well just go ahead and release it as is since you've already got that far let's call it good that's really where it felt like this one fell in the day you know I, I, I don't mean to besmirch the, the work that went into it but it really felt unfinished yeah it was it was not fluid the um the, the movements of the, the characters were, were not polished. They were very jerky. They were rudely animated, um, at least compared to what we've seen in the past. 
um, from from any of the, the the different animation houses that have worked with Doctor. Um, and you know me, it's going to take a, a, a mighty accomplishment to unseat Reign of Terror as <laughs> the worst of animation. But by God, you managed to do it. Um, mm-hmm. Because yeah, this this was just I'm I'm with Keith. I won't buy this one. It felt and looked like they were using the graphics card from a Nintendo 64. Yeah. And it could be because it was just animatics and storyboarding and whatnot. I don't know. If I knew that, I would maybe cut it a little bit more slack, but I just can't. Even, you know, I even switched between black and white and color halfway through to think, oh, well, maybe it's better one way or the other. I did too. And it didn't make a difference. Which is a shame because it's such a good episode and such a good story and such a monumental episode and such a good story that it deserves a good animation. And now, unfortunately, I don't think we're going to get it. So uh, let let me put a little perspective on this. Number one, you guys are not alone in this. There are a lot of people that were quite disappointed and quite upset with that. I personally wasn't that bothered by it because I all along knew that they were only animating one episode. That was the intent. They were never going to go animate the entire series. This is the one that they waited on to make sure they could, if they could possibly get that one episode that they believe was the one that was stolen when uh, Philip Morris uh, retrieved these. And I think there was still some hope that they might return that to the archive someday. I think they waited so long that they decided you know what let's just finish this up so they've they've always intend intended just to animate this episode so this wasn't going to be one of these major projects where every part would be animated and it would be silly to do that because there was only one missing episode in this oh i agree i don't i don't expect them to animate the whole thing number two this was sort of a test if that's my understanding because they they used a a a system that they were kind of trying out that it's it's not motion capture, but it is. It's a type of motion capture. It's not like motion capture like you see in the movies, but it's sort of the same thing. It's the same concept. They they map out a person's body as they, they move. Uh, to me, the, the, the only thing that bothered me about it was the faces. I felt that they didn't map the animated faces onto the more 3D models well enough, and that could have been done better. But overall... Watching it, I I thought the fluidity fluidity of it was fine. It almost reaches that uncanny valley area that I think is pointed to in Reign of Terror quite often, where there's enough realism that it feels strange because you're watching an animation that has more lifelike movement to it. And so I think that's one of the things that bothers people about it, is it feels wrong, but it was... They were doing it because it was cost effective for one thing, because they thought, okay, if we've just got to do one, this is the one to do it on. See how it works out. See how it goes. And if we if they pulled this off and it had been better, then I think this was the way they wanted to do them from here on out, because it's cost effective. It's it's timelier. They don't have to animate every frame or cell of something because they basically put actors in mocap suits, they walk around, act the thing out, and then it captures it as an animation, and then they can put it out. So it it cuts down on the time. They could have put a lot of these better together. I think the BBC or Real Time or whoever's doing these now, I think they decided that this wasn't maybe the way they wanted to go. I don't think they were as happy with it. So 
this is where this is at. It's it's nothing that was intentionally done poorly. It wasn't something no, that was. I didn't think it would yeah, be. but it wasn't something that that. A lot of people's complaint is it feels like it's sloppy, like they just threw it together to give us an animated episode. And I don't think that was their intent at all. I just think it didn't work out as well as they wanted it to. So, but again, I, I'm not bothered by it. The face, facials, the face was, for most of them, was pretty jarring and, and poorly done. But I think, again, that's because they're mapping these animated images that they've drawn over these live action type models. So that didn't work well. But I thought overall the movement was fine. I thought the, the, the mapping of the bodies was good. I would have liked to seen this had they been able to animate it better. I think that this would have been cool, but I just think they sort of missed the mark on it. See, and I, I guess I've, I felt like more like the movements didn't feel natural. They felt much more wooden, much more stiff, even more so than the cardboard cutout dangling arms and legs that we were having in the other store and animations they felt so stiff and wooden in their movements they didn't feel very fluid to me and the faces were so they weren't expressive at all yeah yeah, i I, they were just kind of oh look that's supposed to be patrick trouton i suppose it just i you know the main way was telling by outfit of how who people were because it didn't none of them really looked like the characters they were supposed to look like so i you're giving it a lot more credit than i would yeah yeah do you, do you remember james cameron's titanic there's that one sweeping shot of the ship when they put to sea from southampton the camera pans over the ship and they uh, uh as, as it pans over and um Officer Lightoller goes from the forward deck and he walks around to inside the uh, the booth to deliver a report to the captain. But it's very obviously CG Lightoller and he kind of walks with this strange gait and his arms swing weird and it's the only thing in the shot that is wrong. The ship looks gorgeous, the the waves look right, the, the birds are cool, but then there's this thing moving across the deck mimicking the movement of a man and it it completely destroys the illusion of what is happening on screen and it's the only flaw with that movie is that shot which movie are we talking about james cameron's titanic oh okay that's what this episode was well that was reverted back that wasn't the only thing that were in that movie but no it reverted (laughs) back to 1997 (laughs) animation (laughs) That that's how I I was traumatized for for uh, and I'll be honest I didn't even finish it I, I made it through about eighteen minutes of the episode and <laughs> and that that was an accomplishment I felt in both black and white and color and it didn't make an and I kept you know it's the brig it's the first one with the brig we we needed this to be a triumph and I understand it was only the one episode. I That's just it. That... I don't. I don't think we needed it to be a triumph, and here's the reason why: because we have a really good version of it, and we have a really good version of it with a really decent. Um, fortunately, even though the BBC did it, a very uh, adequate uh, reconstruction of it on that. You're absolutely day. right. So it, we, it wasn't. It was unnecessary. That, yeah. I am grateful that I am beyond grateful that Web of Fear exists at all. Yeah. In, in any combination of of, of episodes. And we do have a fairly decent retcon. But I think if we're going to do that episode, 
if we're going to try and mess with the missing piece because of the, the, the legacy of the first appearance of the brig proper, I think you needed to take your time with it and do it right. Because yeah. it's only one episode, then go ahead and do the, don't do, don't experiment with that one. Experiment with a, a, a serial. You want to experiment with it? Go experiment with Mission of the Unknown. <laughs> Give us 10 different versions of that one if you want to play around. Nobody's going to complain. But don't, don't do this one. I think they, they might have done that had the one group not mounted the reshoot of it because I think that they were so they were happy enough with the reshoot of Mission Unknown. The other, the other problem you have, and, I, and here's why I'll, I'll argue for this was the right one to do, is because it is a well-loved story. It's going to sell no matter what. Either either gonna, you're, you're going to watch it no matter whether it's got the crappy animation or whether it's got the, um, the, the, uh, recon, it's a, it's already a good compelling story. So even if you do ruin that, it doesn't, it doesn't take away from everything else that surrounds it. If you did it with something new or something unfamiliar to people and you're turning them off immediately, they may miss something with the story. They may not get out of it. What, you know, maybe the maybe the story is really good, but you're so turned off by the animation that it you know it takes you out of the story. So I think that this is to me the best one to do because this one's already well loved. We already have nine uh eighty percent of it back and and in good shape. And so to me, this is the perfect candidate. That's a valid point. I guess I had rather them. I guess I expected them to. You know, they're only animating one episode. Let's think even. Let's think a decent amount of money into it to make it, you know, even better. And if they wanted to experiment, give me both. Yeah. 3D animation and 2D animation. Yeah. You know, they could have built that as well. Look at the, you could see it in two different animation styles. Yeah, I guess I have to look at it from the perspective though that I think they genuinely want to finish animating, but I think they saw the writing on the wall. They saw that BBC. America was going to pull its funding. I think they want to move forward with animating these things, and they were looking for a affordable way to do it. And unfortunately, it didn't work out. But I think kudos to them for doing this and making that attempt, because if they if it would have worked and they could have pulled it off, I think we'd probably be getting more animations. I wouldn't be worried about us not getting more animations, but because this endeavor failed to find an inexpensive way to do it, I that makes me even more fearful that we won't get any more animation, that unless somebody steps forward to fund it, to help fund BBC fund it, we're not going to get any more. It's going to dry up. So to me, I'm glad they took the made the attempt. Have we heard any more on specifically why BBC America is pulling funding? I mean, are they just not seeing... I don't think we have. ...the revenue stream anything. from I, has it been airing them? Announced? Or is that, I or don't even know if it's point. been officially announced, but you don't uh, you don't announce when you're going to stop doing something. So I don't think they ever will announce it. Um, I don't think we have, Sean. I, I think we've already speculated on this before, but I, I'm pretty sure it's the fact that they just weren't getting the return on it they wanted. Um, that's why we weren't getting them for an entire year because they were scheduling them out to play on BBC America. And I just have a feeling they weren't getting the eyes in front of them that they they needed to in order to make them uh, valuable to them so that that's why they're and they, they didn't pull out of the project. Let's be fair. They set up a contract for so many and then depending on how it went, they would extend that contract 
And so that contract's running out because they just weren't, it was, you know, maybe diminishing returns. It's not for renewing them. the yeah, contract. Exactly. So, although I don't think they executed their end of the contract very well, waiting a year when you Americans, if they want this and are tech savvy, they're going to go to the internet and they're going to find these stories. That's 100% accurate. So if you get them on TV and on shelves, close to the same time it comes out in the UK, you will get your return on investment. That's 100% exactly accurate because the people that really well, are going to... The people are going to watch these are the fans. And yes, and the fans are you might get it. some other viewers as well, which is a, a happy pickup if you do. But you're right. If you don't even have the fans waiting a year and they're going and finding it you know, online or buying uh, region-free copies on, you know... <laughs> Uh, on Amazon or whatever, just so Especially that they can have Blu-rays, it sooner. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's uh, yeah. They they did shoot themselves in the foot on that. I I'm not supporting that. I'm not, I'm not backing them up because of that. But I do I, I, I do understand why their, they're pulling out. Yeah, I just think they could have gotten their return on investment had they been smart. Yeah, absolutely. And it's really interesting considering so much of the home video industry has pretty much foregone uh, the day and date thing uh, with, with uh, different countries and different markets. Yeah. It's, it's pretty much day and date everywhere. Yeah. Region, region, that, regions yeah. Uh, blocking has not been a thing much anymore. That's all but evaporated. Yeah. But here, Doctor Who is still a slave to this thing. Well, uh, again, it that that's not bbc's fault i'm sure they would do <laughs> they wouldn't region block but because bbc america their investment is not in video their investment is in television and so unfortunately they also have the say to say well until we air it on television i suppose there's probably an argument for i i don't think they needed an entire year but i think there's probably an argument for planning scheduling and things like that you probably schedule so far out and so you can't just okay, we're going to drop it in here. You kind of have to plan for it. But I think a year, I'm, I'm giving them a little bit of credit, but I think a year is way too far out. Yeah. But there's also the streaming aspect of things. You know, they could put it on their streaming service and get views and well, subscriptions that's, that uh, way too. Yeah, they, but BBC America isn't focused on streaming like Paramount and Peacock. Yeah. and they're, That's not their focus right now. And so, but that's the only place you can watch Orphan Black. Well, it is right now, <laughs> but unless you go by unless you go by the DVDs, right? Stuff. Well, but but my point yeah. is, Keith, is their focus is television because that's where their money revenue is. Their revenue is not on the back end with streaming yet. Now, when they figure out a way like everybody else has to make streaming be their, you know, their their bread and butter, then yeah, it would make sense to put it there first and make an exclusive. But right now, I can get the BBC America app, and as long as I have a cable uh, subscription to cable somewhere, I can watch the shows on there for free. Okay. As long as That's I have true. a Cox subscription, I can log on to BBC America. So they're not making any money from me that way. So that doesn't even work for them. Now, that that being said, everybody's going to go to the – everybody's going to cut out the middleman cables – going to be a thing of the past just like networks are eventually going to be the thing of the past and everybody's going to be streaming everything and they're going to yeah. they're going to have everybody's going to have control of their own content eventually that's where we're going but that's a whole nother rant 
a whole nother can of worms. All right, Sean, now what do we have coming up on the schedule? Well, now that we've opened that can of worms, <laughs> we're going to put it away. Uh, okay, so coming up next, we are pointed out uh, for, for the following through the prologue now of the Time War and Time Lord Victorious, which we spent last the last part of last year uh, working through all the Time Lord Victorious materials would nestle in quite nicely. Uh, theoretically, uh, after the stories that we reviewed today. And then uh, you can work your way through that if you haven't yet. And then pick up next time with us, we will be doing Act 1, the official opening volleys of uh, of the, 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 the Time War at Large, with um, The War Master 3, which is a box set, Rage of the Time Lords. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Keith, there are stories in that set, yes? Yes. And then we will also, in addition to that, be adding uh, the Diary of River Song 5.4 Concealed Weapon. So that's box set five, the fourth story. So a total of five stories next time. So that's a that's going to be a huge, double-length, big episode. Uh, and then following that up with Unit Cyber Reality, which is uh, from Unit, the new series six. And then uh, in... We will be following that up with a uh, uh, little Easter Saturday goodness from uh, the BBC with their long ears hopping down the bunny trail delivering uh, delivering some new Doctor Who our way, what we understand. Right, Glenn? Yep. That's the on way Easter I understand Saturday? it. Well, it probably won't be. Probably <laughs> on Sunday because that's how they've been doing it. But um, I also want to uh, back up and make sure that people understand that um, don't expect a two-hour um episode next time because that's not happening but anyway yes it is a little longer <laughs> as long as we need to cover five stories yeah that's exactly right all right well be sure to check out our website travelthevortex.com for updates and if you get any value out of this podcast why not consider putting some value back into it you can do that by clicking on the patron link and consider supporting us also, please consider giving us a five-star review wherever you subscribe to the podcast and make sure you join in the conversation on our listeners forum on Facebook. If that's it for this week, until next time, I'm Glenn. I'm Sean. I'm Keith. Cheers. Good night, everybody. Be seeing you. Thanks for listening. You have been listening to Traveling the Vortex. Doctor Who and all of its associated programs are owned and trademarked by the BBC. No infringement is intended or implied. Direction point! Direction point! A Doctor Who Podcast Network.